Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Hear that track behind me? That's the music of Jacob Tutu, and David Ahuja is the man behind it. David is originally from Atlanta, but these days he resides in Brooklyn where he works as a motion designer, an animator, and makes some pretty incredible music all the while. We caught up in his Brooklyn home studio to discuss his music, graffiti art, animating, and a lot of other ideas. Here's our conversation. When I'm doing animation, like I have to listen to like a podcast or like a, a you know book on tape or something like that because yeah. like, like animation is so rote yeah. that I just feel like I need to I need to exercise the other like the analytical side of my brain right. and, like the verbal side of my brain because yeah. it's just like such a rote thing. Um, like if I listen to music, I just kind of get bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess it it has. Um, I don't know. It's not like that with making work and making like art where it's like a static image but how is it different whenever you're doing like animation stuff you know because there's, there's movement doesn't the sound like if you're listening to something does that not really the movement unless it's specific to it i guess yeah i mean it usually isn't and like sometimes yeah i'll just mute it for that second if i'm doing a preview you know yeah but yeah for, no for the most part it's just like the the timing and like it's it's easier like unless because it's it's such a it's a timing thing. It's not a verbal thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like those those aren't conflicting. So if I'm listening to people talk and I'm animating, like I can still concentrate on the timing and hear what they're saying. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's much more like it's like sculpting, you know, mm-hmm. or building. It's, it, you're not, you know, you're not using the, you're you're using this sort of like subconscious part of your brain that's just focused on like how something looks and how something moves. Right. And I can multitask and do that and listen to people talk about, you know, politics or whatever. Right. On uh, the other half of my brain. Because, yeah, key, key framing is just like it's very tedious. Yeah. And when I'm doing something that tedious, I don't want to listen to music. I want to, like, you know, learn something else. Right. Um, I usually, the only time I really use listen to music is when I'm running. What I'll do is I'll go running and, like, I'll, I'll make, like, a playlist that's, like, 45 minutes or an hour. So you time it to your playlist? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, cause I, you know, forty-five minutes, like, like forty minutes, I can run like a good four miles usually. Yeah. Uh, cause I usually run between like an eight and ten minute mile, um, and I'll just like set up a playlist, and that'll be like my musical diet for the day. How do like, you do your playlist? Is it just like iTunes or something? Yeah, just in iTunes. Cause you're not a Spotify person. Fuck no. Well, they do. Spotify has. I know. I use. Yeah, I, know, I know. I use it. So, they have these. Have you seen it? Or th- it's like a run thing. It's called like run, and it curates i've never used it but i think it just basically um it goes on how fast you're going or you can time it oh like really the energy oh, like of the music it, it can it can like t- detect like how fast you're running it's yeah. like a for me it's a, a the perfect example of like the over curation yeah of our life right now and i don't and i i can i don't trust spotify or apple to curate stuff for me like yeah. i i trust my friends who make mixes you know like right i don't want some algorithm yeah. doing shit. I just I, I also like the thing I hate about Spotify, it's not even like the fact that they don't that they hardly pay anything to artists. It's just like I 
still like the idea of owning music. Right. You know, I even though I don't buy a lot of vinyl, like I still like the idea of like this is my collection of yeah. music. Like, you know, when you were a teenager, it's like your music defines who you are. Right. Yeah. So I like to still identity like, through yeah. the stuff you listen to. Yeah. So and even, that you have it. Exactly. So even if it's stuff on my hard drive, like yeah. I still like have it. Like I'll use Spotify if like I just I'm curious, like I want to check something out, but I don't want to buy it. I am amazed at how much stuff is on there. Oh yeah. I, I mean I find African like a lot of African music that I just never can find it. And apparently Apple Music is even more extensive. Oh, really? But I won't. I'm trying. I have to buy a new phone. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my phone. But I have to is, buy it, it. is it the brick? Because I have, no, because I have, the, I bought a Mophie when, oh, I was in, when I was in India. And <laughs> I just kept it on there all the time. And I think it melted the, the <laughs> top cover. That's so crazy. I'm going to have to get a new one. That's starting to look like a hockey puck. All right, so, <clears throat> so you're yeah. Let's let's talk. A, well, let's start with where you came from, which is Georgia. Georgia, Atlanta. Yeah, ATL, three south. Yes, we've had another Atlanta. It's it's become there's more people from Atlanta now on the podcast than anywhere else. Oh really? Yes. <laughs> so what know. was it like growing up in Atlanta? It was fine. I mean, I grew up in um, Cobb County, like east. Cobb County, which was uh, Newt Gingrich's congressional district. Oh, nice. He spoke at both my high school and my middle school. Lucky son. And b- the great clips where I got my haircut was right next to his campaign office. So right. I, saw, I saw him leaving as I was getting my haircut. That's frightening. I had plenty of opportunities to take that dude out. <laughs> you passed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, So was it a conservative? It was a kind of yeah, backwoodsy? Yeah, but it was also like, be- no, it wasn't. I mean, it's, it was like, it's, it's sort of like, it, I think it, at the time, when I was growing up, it received like the second greatest amount of government funding next to Orange County, California, Whoa. and it was very, it was like very much like a Southern California town, like suburb in, but the Southern version of it. Yeah. So you know, people had pickup trucks, but they had really nice souped-up pickup trucks. Right. You know, then they and they like they ran them through mud and kept it on there, but they were still like, it's they didn't really, they weren't really dirty. Like right. they just like ran them through mud so they could have mud on there so it could look authentic. <laughs> right. It was those kind of rednecks that I was growing up with, yeah. like rich rednecks. Yeah. Like, have you seen Talladega Nights? Yeah. It's that. Like, the scene in Talladega Nights where there's a big, huge McMansion with, like, the circular driveway with the four <laughs> oh, SUVs yeah, and the yeah. boat. That, that's where I grew up. Okay. That is East Cobb County. So what was the music? What, what's music like in your house growing up? Well, I, I started off playing drums uh, in, like, punk rock bands. Like, I started off, I was in a band with my friends when I was in eighth grade. So you um, got drums when you were a kid? Yeah. I, Did I started, you have, this, like, a music room? Yeah, I had a, I had a my, my bedroom was big enough for a drum set, so I had a drum set in my bedroom, and uh, I started I started because I took, I, I, in sixth grade, I played drum, I played drums in band, like, yeah. in, in middle school band, and then I started taking drum lessons, and I got a kit, um, and I just played in my, my bedroom, and then, Kizza, he's trying to eat your... He loves castles. Well, kudo, um, kudos to your parents because there's two kinds of parents in this world. Those who buy their kids drums, mm-hmm. and those are like, there's no way I'm buying that kid a drum kit. Yeah, because they don't have to listen to it. My parents were amazing because, so we moved, we actually moved to Minneapolis uh, for like a year, and then we moved back to Atlanta, and then I started, I joined the band that I was in high school, which was called Wheel Jack, mm-hmm. and we were very sort of like a post punk. Were you know totally influenced by like all the like DC Discord bands like Fugazi and Nation mm-hmm. of Ulysses and all that stuff. And my parents were so amazing. We practiced in my basement because we didn't have any place else to practice. 
And then when I left and I went to college, they had a practice space for a while, but they ended up getting kicked out. And my mom let them practice in my parents' basement, Whoa. like even though I wasn't there. <laughs> they were not. They were in no way obligated to let them practice in the basement. They were just like, yeah, that's fine. We actually <laughs> like having them here. That's pretty cool. So yeah, no, my parents were pretty amazing. Were they fans of the music? Uh, I mean, <laughs> they, they didn't care. They were fine with it. You yeah. know, sometimes they did. Sometimes they'd come down and she'd be like, I really like that. Yeah. If we were like, you know messing around or doing something soft or whatever. The melodic in between. Yeah, yeah. Or, or when we were like, you know, doing parody songs mm-hmm. or something. To be like, I like that. Like, I mean, we were doing that as a joke, mom. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, yeah, so I sort of like grew up in the sort of punk rock world, which I think was good in that it's, punk rock is kind of, it's good at shaping your political view. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I, th- I think that stuck with me, just a sort of sense of identity. Musically, I've kind of moved on, mm-hmm. even though I, I still like sometimes go back and listen to that stuff. Some of it I can, some of it I can't. But it wasn't until, I mean, I think, and then I think around like, you know, 94, 95 was the year that, you know, white suburban kids collectively decided they needed to start listening to more hip hop. So yeah, I started, you know, I remember being, we actually did it, we toured once. I remember being on tour and we like stopped at a mall and we like, I I think I bought Midnight Marauders and like Apocalypse ninety one, mm-hmm. Public Enemy, and then like we all started listening to Wu Tang and then, and there was still kind of like a stigma against any kind of electronic music mm-hmm. in like sort of the punk rock world. Like it was sort of associated with like dopey ravers and stuff like that. Um, well, it wasn't until I moved to New York that I kind of didn't have that sort of peer pressure mm-hmm. and like started you know listening to more like drum and bass and acid house and stuff yeah and well, got, it, was, it was changing pretty rapidly too at that point yeah i mean that was like i went that was like 97 mm-hmm. so that's when everything sort of started to converge more yeah. and i think i think everyone's mind kind of opened to like different stuff that was going on square pusher square pusher he yeah. was like listening to jazz you know jazz was starting to enter into the mix yeah and square pusher was like that was he was one of my like that was he's still one of my favorites yeah um like i i think i i started getting really into like warp records and square pusher apex twin autecker um and then i uh i did an internship uh in london summer after my sophomore year Mm-hmm. And I was sitting at this. I was working at this like dot com. It was a company called Deep End Design, and they were sort of like Razorfish, mm-hmm. um, and they did like dot com and, and motion stuff. And I remember uh, I was working at this guy's desk because he was out of town. And he had a big stack of CDs, and uh, I was like, "Oh, Square Pusher, awesome, Aphex Twin." It's like, "Hmm, what's this?" And I saw like this CD with this kind of '70s looking family with all of their faces erased off and i'm just like this look oh this looks interesting it's mm-hmm. on warp i'll put it I on remember that and it was boards of canada music yeah. has the right to children and it blew a hole in my mind <laughs> like yeah. it just completely flooded me with all these like memories and emotions and shit and so that was like that was kind of the the next step what y- do you remember what year that was that was 1998 98 or yep. 99 because it was the year right before 2000 i mean, that record came out in 98 i think yeah i heard it in 99 yeah i heard it you want to hear my boards of canada story yeah sure i uh i was at scowhegan at the time which is a residency in maine mm-hmm. and it's out it's out in the middle of nowhere 
And uh, we went to see Blair Witch Project. We drove out yep. to this theater that was, you know, a little ways away. That we was the same. I was in, that was the year I was in London. Yeah. I, told, I was talking to somebody about this last night. I totally missed the whole Blair Witch Project oh, you hype missed it? Yeah, because yeah. I was in London at that time and it wasn't out there. Yeah. Well, so. we didn't see any. I didn't see any movies that that nine weeks of the residency except for Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. And it scared the shit. You know, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. That movie was nuts to see it in the theater. And then I remember driving back to my studio and then my friend gave me that CD. He's like, you got to listen to this. Mm-hmm. And I think it was earlier the day. So I got back to my studio at night, pitch black in the middle of the forest. And then I put that on mm-hmm. and that experience of being out in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Yeah. It was crazy. It was the perfect soundtrack, although it was very, it was frightening. Yeah, yeah. Being out there, and because my studio door opened up and it was just a thicket of like woods that went forever. That's the, yeah. So it, it was kind of the perfect setting for the first listening of that record. Yeah, because well, it's great because there is like this sort of weird edge to it where it's like it's beautiful and like nostalgic and melancholy, but there's also like this underlying sinister. Yeah, thing in there, and like with Geo Gotti, like even more. Geo Gotti is the perfect soundtrack for traveling through the desert. Yeah, that's what I found. I was I was on a desert trip recently. We listened to Geo Gotti, and it was just like it, it was worked perfect. well. Yeah, yeah, it's like put the post-human aspect of it. I think I think makes it kind of creepy because it sounds as if it might have been made by people from another planet. Yeah, and then that inherently is. But it's weird. but it's but it's still kind of like organic and trippy. Yeah, and. Yeah, it's just in the same way like the Close Encounters movie was organic and trippy, and it was something beautiful about that spacecraft. And oh yeah, but it was really creepy too. I at just the same time. I saw that for the first time recently. Oh really? I hadn't watched it ever. Oh, you didn't see it? I never saw young. it when I was young. Yeah. Oh, that one was. I saw E.T. Big. when I was young, but I never saw Close Encounters, and yeah, I watched that recently. So watch different, it right? They're yeah, so yeah, different. but they're somewhat similar also. Yeah. Like they both, E.T. to me, E.T. is Spielberg's best movie. It always will be. Mm-hmm. And E.T. to me is like, I don't know. There's just some, I think, again, because I, I was that age at that time. Like, there's a couple, like, the reason we can, we'll, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I think the part of the reason I have this sort of obsession with, like, 80s movies, even if I haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. Like, I hadn't seen the movie Daryl. Like when yeah. I, was, I, I was a full grown adult. I was like 25 years old. I hadn't seen it. Somebody like gave me a VHS of it. I'm like, I think you would like this movie. It came out in 85 yeah. and I'd never seen it before, but I just instantly fell in love with it because it reminded me so much of when I was that age, right. like just the way they look and their clothes they're wearing. And it's just like it, the, his relationship with his friend. And it just like, you know, it, it just takes you back to you, you, you feel like you are that age again. There's a sort of comfort in that. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. not just the nostalgia of that creative thing, the movie or the, the music. Yeah, and it's, it's not the relationship to the feeling of when you grew up in that time. Because yeah. the time has a feeling and a look and a sound to exactly. it. Exactly. So you don't even have to see Close Encounters. But if you catch up with that like 12, 15 minute, years later, yeah. you can you relate that to your childhood. Totally. And if I watch any, you know, if you know, any, I was watching... Uh, Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know if you've watched that show. No, I've but it's really it's set in like the early '80s, and the art direction is so well done and so subtle, mm-hmm. and that's so much more evocative to me than like. See, what I hate. Here's the thing. So I, you know, and you were, you know, I obviously get scrap of being like nostalgia and '80s and all this stuff, mm-hmm. which is fine. I kind of bring that on myself because I do like there is a, there there I definitely do tap into that aesthetic, mm-hmm. but. 
I'm not just trying to do that. Right. I'm trying to add something more to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm also like, it's a more specific thing. Like I hate what, what annoys me is the people who like just focus on the eighties aspect and they're like, Oh, green grids and Knight Rider and all this bullshit. I'm just like, no, what I'm doing is a little bit more different. It's not just like your generic, like, I don't want to be like the musical equivalent of like a Renaissance fair right. or a VH1, you know, I love the 80s special. I feel like that just cheapens it and simplifies it. Like there's a difference between nostalgia and kitsch. Yeah. You know, kitsch is just like, hey, remember Rubik's Cubes? Mm-hmm. Ah. Like nostalgia is much more of a emotional response. It's yeah. much more of an, it's, it's, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's about taking you back to a specific time and place and it's very personal Mm -hmm. like whatever images or memories music has the right to children might conjure in you is different than it is for me right but they're probably similar and it definitely has the ability to do that Mm -hmm. and you know i'm trying to do it's not even that i'm trying to do the same thing it's that i think that for me whenever i'm working on music and i'm trying to achieve a certain emotional resonance or if i just stumble upon something that i like it usually tends to be sort of evocative of childhood or yeah. 80s memories because that is just a natural emotion that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Who knows why? Well, maybe, the, maybe because I'm just unhappy as an adult. <laughs> trying to, well, a lot of what we do as adults is try to reach back and connect with things from childhood because in childhood you're, you're free to be, I mean, most people are free to be creative and yeah. there's less constraints and responsibility is not nearly what it is when you're adult you yeah. know so you want to reconnect with this time where you can just be make these free decisions and explore and create and things are new yeah you know that newness is a big thing too exactly yeah it's everything well um it was actually i was doing an interview with boards of canada and they put it perfectly that when you're young you're 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 sense you're not desensitized yet yeah like things like colors and you know shapes are like mind-blowing to you Mm -hmm. and as we get older and we're sort of desensitized to like these you know that's why we end up you know taking more drugs and like having to like you know somehow like have new physical experiences that equal the sort of intensity of very very simple things when we're kids it must like, be yeah. chemical too, because like monotony is the worst thing in the world. You know, yeah, everyone's nightmare is the di- Groundhog Day, day to day, same old, same old. You know that yeah. kind of feeling of being stuck and not being able to find something new, or and that's probably why music is so important to people because music is there's always new music coming out and it's this creative thing. That everyone, or not everyone, but most people yeah. in the world just respond to it, and it's there's something. It's one of the most direct forms of creative expression. It's like you make sounds, people hear it, and they yeah. they move to it or they think about it and they respond to it emotionally. You know, and I think that's one thing that that's probably why music is so popular in our world is this, it's this ever changing mutating thing that people can feel newness from you know yeah and also you know uh you know i like i like graphic design i like animation but you won't get a crowd of people you know dancing at 3 a.m to you know a graphic design conference yeah. you know yeah. like there's a reason m- music moves people mm-hmm. you know it, it just has a much greater visceral effect i think than you know any other art form yeah you know i totally agree i find myself so often trying to connect with that 
old feeling that I got when I used to play music live mm-hmm. and that charge of like playing for the crowd yeah. and live music yeah. because the artwork is so dope. I mean, you know, you sit in your studio and you work for months and months and months yeah. and then you hang it up in a space and people see it and you talk to them one night during an opening. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it's just kind of passes yeah. and it does. It, I mean, people have those experiences with the art and I have it every time I go out and see things, yeah. which I love. But, but the communication of that kind of expression is so it's, you know, it's buffered. Yeah. You know, it's not that direct communication. So now if I have any chance to do like public art or, you know, something that's out, you know, I'm working in the field or like there's more of an interaction between people. I'm jumping at it you yeah, know, because they, I, can, they can see what, how it's how it's forming. Yeah. I think and that's why I think that's why graffiti is also like. Oh, the rush, yeah. So popular because yeah, yeah there's the yeah the rush of first of all that's illegal, you right? Have to like do it, and but also because it is like a fit, you know you're in a public space, yeah. There's a there's a there's a there's more of a. Uh, there's a performative aspect. There's a performative aspect, and also it's less of. Uh, it's it's more it's 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 less codified. Yeah. You know, there's mm-hmm. not like, okay, we're going and we're going to a museum or we're going to go to a gallery. It's just like, it's just in your face. Yeah. Like it shows up whether you want it or not. Right. Um, so maybe. Yeah. It's a complete different experience. Although it is, I do believe it is becoming more and more shaped by the context of where it is. Like it used to be, Graffiti, yeah. yeah, it just showed up and it was this thing and now it's almost curated. Well, like, yeah, the, that one one nine six Bayard right yeah, by the park. Right. I mean, there's some nice pieces there. Like I think Futura did one of them. Yeah. And all of them, but it is like it's commissioned. Like it's, you're, it's, you know, it's, it's kind it's, of like yeah, it's so your... it's so obvious. Just like, I mean, I don't know what they do in there, yeah. but it's so obvious that they like we want to be a hip looking Brooklyn right. office, so we're gonna hire all these people to like just cover our building with graffiti. Yeah. yeah. Well, you hear the stories too about in Bushwick how developers will actually hire are they people to come tag the building and make a nice i didn't know that piece. but i believe it no it's yeah, yeah. I have a friend who was telling me he lives over there that they'll ask around and say hey do you know someone who could do something cool on the side of this yeah because it like ups the the cool value yeah, of the real estate you know need we go down the, the yeah. wormhole of new yeah. york yeah i mean whatever it's fine yeah. yeah i mean there is some there are some really cool pieces out there yeah like when we when we were shooting uh when we were shooting the pilot for that we were at a warehouse space in bushwick and i don't tend to go out there that much yeah i just walked around i was just like damn there's some really nice graffiti around here yeah Yeah, it's a big blank canvas you know there's a lot of stuff and i don't know how you feel about banksy not to bring up banksy i like banksy but i don't know why people hate on him so much uh yeah i I think it's like the showmanship or maybe they feel like a lot of the stuff is tongue or it's just too i mean the uh, one-liner-ish but there's some stuff that he did like the one out in east new york the piece that he did that like guys were covering up and charging the people who came to the neighborhood, they were taking like car services to East New York and the people in the neighborhood were angry. You know, they don't want these, you know, like people from the upper West side coming out to try to see this, go to their neighborhood. They don't care about the neighborhood. They don't care about, you know, the problems there and just see this, you know, graffiti. What was it though? What was the piece? Um, (laughs) I forget what the piece is. Like, did it have something to do with the fact that it was, like, in the middle no, of nowhere? No, no, it was just, I think it was, it was something like maybe, like, a, a rat chewing, it was, like, a painted sign that fell over and, like, a rat was chewing it off. Or oh, yeah. it, that probably wasn't, it was something like that. It wasn't really about that. But to me, it was almost the reaction that happened, the sort of, that social commentary was way more interesting than the actual piece itself. Yeah. Because that dynamic of where things happen and who wants to go see it because... And you know, he's it's like kind it, of it's like an, it's like a pop up gentrification. Yeah, and he's <laughs> orchestrating this response because yeah. he knows what he's doing. He knows where he's putting it. Yeah, you know, and he, 
he purpose so he, that, he, 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 that was the point to put it like in the middle of nowhere. So I mean, I'm guessing come out. Uh, he's pretty and savvy. The locals, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that had it. It was probably about you know what I'm gonna put one of these way out in East New York where it's not the nicest neighborhood, you yeah. know, and see what happens, you know. So it's you know guys were covering it up with cardboard and charging people twenty dollars to like take a look at it. Wow, which I is like you know that. that says something about. Exactly. It's like a social, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, it's, it's about, it's social commentary about just like the nature of what, you know, what graffiti has happened and what public art is now. And yeah. the fact that it is, you know, this, it, it, it's that it started in as an ex, sort of an expression against the sort of poor neighborhood you grew up in. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's, it's kind of it's reversed itself. I don't know. Edit this out. I don't know what I'm saying. No, no. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's exactly what, it, and you know, he did the piece at the Met. Where he set up a little, you know how those guys sell souvenir art outside. Oh the yeah, no, I didn't see that. And then he that. did like his pieces, and people bought it for like twenty five bucks. Yeah, and it's going to be worth, you know, the resale on that. It's going to be pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, the Banksy piece I got for twenty five dollars, and then people were trying to like find the next. I think maybe that's one. why people dislike him because like, but it's not. It's not like he can control the fact he's he's trying to comment on the fact that he is now so well known mm-hmm. and such an established artist and trying to basically take the piss out of it. Mm-hmm. And people are like, "Who are you to take the piss out of yourself? Like, if if you're really serious about this, then you wouldn't be famous." But how is he supposed to control that? Right. You know, he's yeah. trying to do the best to still make a statement, even though yeah, he probably is a millionaire now. Right. But he's still trying to say something relevant. You yeah. know, and it's not his fault that people are going to pay a lot of money right. for his work. And go crazy for You it, know, yeah. like he's still trying to make the same points he always has been. It's just now he has more notoriety. Right. But you can't like hate on him for that. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to talk to somebody who has a really good reason for like for disliking him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's personally an asshole. I don't know. Oh, well, there's some of his pieces. I'm like, eh, that's kind of obvious. Or yeah, that's uh, that's cute or whatever. And then there's some that I think are really interesting. So, you know, just as other artists make great work and they yeah. make some not so great work. Yeah. But um, I think some of the s- things that happened because of it, as an effect of it, are really interesting, you know. So when it comes to your, the one thing I wanted to ask you about is the relationship of this, the music that you're making and the visuals. And then not to go back to the nostalgia point, but I think one of the reasons possibly people are going there a little more heavily or you know or like oh this is about that is you're so good at the visuals and the identity and the the look of your you know yeah of your music that it's really kind of all-encompassing you know mm-hmm. what i mean it's not just like a record with songs but you also have this really interesting concept of the character behind you know it's it's a it's a pretty um well done package of yeah. visuals and you know, and the videos too, which are really obviously that's something that you're doing a lot of video yeah. work and and uh, motion graphics and stuff like that. So can you just talk about your approach between music and the visuals? Yeah, I, this is the one question I was prepared for because I knew you were going to ask me something. You like did your this. homework. Oh, yeah, man, that's good. Um, <laughs> I think there's sort of three dimensions to it. Um, one is just a purely technical thing, um, because the one there's two things that I know I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I've known since I was a kid and that's playing drums and editing mm-hmm. because I started really young and I was really good like I, I kind of a, I'm definitely not 
as good of a drummer anymore because I've lost my chops. I haven't played for a long time. But when I was playing in bands, like this is not my opinion. People would tell me like, dude, you're a really good drummer. It's intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and video editing, um, you know, I started with two VCRs hitting, you know, mm-hmm. play and record like yeah. pause tapes and then, you know, upgraded to the VHS shuttle jog wheel. I'm doing the thing with my hands in motion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then it wasn't until I got to college that I, uh, when I was interning, that I started to work on an Avid. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, uh, I was also, I was probably one of the last generations at NYU to actually cut on Steenbeck's, mm-hmm. you know, where we'd stay up all night, like with razors and, you know, have a bunch of cuts on my fingers yeah. from submitting on a Steenbeck. So, and I think the reason I'm good at both of those things, cause I'm not the best illustrator. I'm not the best designer. I'm not the best musician. But I think the one thing I am good at is understanding timing. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what both playing drums and editing are based on. It's rhythm and timing and figuring out where to cut or where to put something. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm good at, and I, th- and I think animation and production, both, there's that element of it. There's that element of just like going in and like fine tuning things mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, it needs to be a hair, hair to the left, a hair to the right, or coming a little bit earlier, a little bit later. Like, I think I'm very good at like the minutia of that, and yeah. it, they're both very tedious. Like, animation is very tedious. It's all about keyframing, mm-hmm. and production can be very tedious as well. Like, you'll go in and just like edit a bunch of hi hats, you know, quantize the snares or whatever. Um, so I think there's there's the connection between the two there, um, and I think in terms of process, there's a connection also because. Um, as a designer, you know, you've probably worked in, or you have friends who are designers, like, you know, the first thing you do as a designer is if you get a brief from the client, you start to pull reference, like, okay, well, what, what should this thing look like? Mm-hmm. And you go, you go on the internet, you go on Tumblr, like take a look at a bunch of things that like kind of help f- f- sort of, you know, that, that help, you know, inspire like whatever the, the eventual product is going to be. And you, right. and you pull reference and put together mood boards mm-hmm. and, you know, all the designers look at it and be like, well, this is cool, this is cool, we can take this aspect of this and this aspect of this. Um, and then when you're designing and you're working on it, you sort of take all those different elements and influences and then it sort of turns into this other thing as, mm-hmm. you're, as you're sculpting it. And I'm kind of the same way, I kind of use a similar process with music um, in that I was telling you, like, the main time I listen to music is when I'm running. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'll create, like, a 40-minute playlist, and I'll sort of curate it in, in the ways of, like, okay, this is stuff that I've been listening to lately that I'm interested in that I want to be influenced by. Right. So that'll be, like, my musical diet for the day. And I'll be listening to it while I'm running and concentrating. It's like, well, what do I like about this? What do I like about that? And then a lot of times I'll put, like, you know, something I'm working on maybe towards the end mm-hmm. to see if it connects or if it matches up at all. The relationship yeah. between them, yeah. And, and when you're and, – and the same thing. Like, you start – to write something that maybe has elements of what you've liked and all this other stuff you've been listening to, but eventually it's just, you're going to, you know, your own jizz is going to get on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. you're going to, you're going to, it's going to go through your filter. Um, so yeah, I think, and those are some of the processes. And then the aesthetic aspect, I think in terms of the relationship between the two, um, is that obviously, you know, I like things that are, bright and colorful and mm-hmm. shiny and maybe a little bit over the top and have sort of odd juxtapositions but I think there's also um, you know it's, like I said it's, it's a very I forgot what I was going to say actually hold on a second um, 
Well, no, the other the the connection is that, um, like I said, when I'm working on something, I'm trying to find a certain emotion or a certain feeling, and something that reminds me of something. And usually, like I'll be halfway through a track, and I'll like there's something I like about it, and then I'll just have to ask myself, okay, what's this about? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you're it's like you don't it's like the opposite of like when you you sit down to write a story, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna you come up with an outline. It's very, it's, a, it's an opposite process for me when I'm working on music. Like I'll start off with an idea and then I'll turn to something else and I'll have to step back and say, okay, well, what's, what's the overall picture here? Like, what is this about? Right. And usually it has to do with like a place. Like it will remind me of a certain place. And most of the times those are fictional places from eighties movies. <laughs> so when I was, so I have a song called Save Miracles uh-huh. because when I was working out, I realized that it totally reminded me of uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo, mm-hmm. which if you've never seen it, it is a maligned classic film. Oh, I've seen and, it. And uh, <laughs> it's the sequel that they made yeah. at the same time, before I think they even finished the first break and mm-hmm. they started on the sequel. Uh, and yeah, Turbo and Ozone are working in this like community center in downtown LA and it's very colorful and there's all these bright rainbow stripes everywhere and mm-hmm kids are taking hip-hop dance classes and painting and graffiti and all this stuff and it's just like that i love that that sense of like all these kids like in a community center that's like bright and colorful and all working together um so i call the song say miracles and then there was another track i was working on called the wreck that reminded me of a dream i had uh when i was a kid of like all these kids in this bright yellow room with really high ceilings that were like working but also playing mm-hmm. and so I had those two ideas, and they sort of bookended the EP. And so when I was designing the cover, like I had those two things in mind, like this bright yellow room, um, and like these sort of colorful. This 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 idea of like this community center. Yeah. Um, and then I had another track on that EP that kind of reminded me of like flying over like desert mountains at night. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the cover of that EP, it's like bright and yellow. You know, big tall ceilings, like huge super graphics, and if you look in the, out the doorway, there's like a night sky, uh, like a suburban night sky with like mountains, like something that you would see in like Southern California. Yeah. So it's like I just combined all those ideas of places, and that that was what the cover became. Yeah. And with Herbivore, which mm-hmm. features your son on yes. the cover, um, that was that was actually kind of different. That was like I was very obsessed with the movie Daryl, and particular particularly the the room that he goes in, the room that he is in when he's on like the military base. Mm-hmm. Barrels was a movie about a kid who's a robot and right. they, he gets lost and he ends up losing his memory, living with a suburban family. And then the government goes in and takes him and brings him back to his, his cage. But it's mm-hmm. just like, it's this very beautiful room. It's very sparse and it's beige. And there's six like, you know, old school television monitors that he's watching at the same time because mm-hmm. he can absorb all of it because he's a robot. He's a robot. Yeah. But I just became obsessed with that room. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the opposite thing. Like, I was trying to create music that kind of felt like that, that reminded me of that room. Yeah. Um, so, and then, yeah, so for the, for the cover art, like, I tried to, I, I mean, I w- if I could go back and actually shoot it in that room, find mm-hmm. out where that space was, I would. But instead, we sort of recreated something that looks similar. It's really cool because it's such a specific um, connection between, you know, either visual uh, concept that translates into uh, an impression on the music or vice versa. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of musicians, 
um, for a lot of musicians that the cover art or the the art related yeah, to music is an afterthought. It. It's yeah. just like, okay, what are we going to do? Well, I kind of like this artist. Or, you know, it's, which understandably, I yeah. mean, that's, that, yeah, that some, happens. I, th- I think know? some people are just, they're either more visual or they're more, you know, oral. Yeah. And I think because I do both, like I'm just naturally, they like, work they, together. They con- they, yeah, they connect together. Yeah. So yeah, like I, I do, you know, each of my, tracks i would say remind me i have they have there's a certain it's usually a location right you know i wrote a track called the richardson because yeah. it reminded me of the richardson, the richardson. yeah yeah um what, uh, are I, there I, are there musicians in the from the past that you're influenced by that you feel like are uh connected to both sides uh boards of canada definitely mm-hmm. i mean if you look at all their art- artwork it's are they very, doing their yeah yeah it i does, think they do yeah. i'm pretty sure they do their own artwork they seem like they micromanage their oh, yeah. whole thing. Definitely. Especially the point of like you don't really know who they are. I mean, we know oh, who yeah. they are, but they're who knows what they're doing. Yeah. They're they've, really they've, isolated. They've, they've curated their identity very yeah. well. All those guys on Warp have kind of done that. That must be way. really hard to do these days. Oh, well, that's the thing. You, there's no, you, there, there, there couldn't be a, a, I mean, Burial. That's probably the yeah. last sort of anonymous producer. Mm-hmm. You know, but now everyone has to pimp themselves out on social yeah. media just to get noticed at all right so that 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 sort of allure or that mysteriousness of the artist is just kind of gone like it i can't is. think there's very few people who still can maintain that sort of allure i think now at the beginning um, or, it was kind of like a a novelty it was like someone like daft punk you're like oh we don't know what they look like yeah and but now people are just like that we we have to know yeah <laughs> And I hate that. And yeah. I, I really, I, I, that's what I like. I mean, I like the fact, I mean, Daft Punk or Daft mm-hmm. Punk, but I totally relate mm-hmm. to that idea of being anonymous. Yeah. And that's part of the reason, like, I, you know, that's part of the reason why the visuals, I mean, I, that's where I bought a projector. Mm-hmm. So whenever, wherever I'm playing, I don't have to worry about, does the club have a projector? Like, I have right. a projector, I have a super long cord, like, mm-hmm. When I'm playing, I will give people something to look at besides a midget on stage behind a laptop. <laughs> you know, like yeah. well, I the, don't. I, yeah. and I and I try. I think also the reason I started sort of gotten into music when I did is because I had been working so long in design and animation, mm-hmm. and you know, because I used to when I graduated from college, I was so excited and so into design and motion graphics and animation. And you got to remember, this was like again, late 90s, early 2000s. It's when blowing like, up. When, like, Flash was cool. Yeah. And people were doing all kinds of, you know... MTV bumpers yeah, were all the rage. Yeah, just yeah. shit that nobody had ever seen. And, yeah. like, now I've got to the point where, like, motion graphics are, like, I'm just... I'm numb to it. It's noise. It's, yeah, it's yeah. noise. Like, oh, another, you know, explainer video. Ooh, yeah. look, 3D... And I just... It just got bored with yeah. it. And I wanted to do... And it just, like, it just became my job. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something that was a completely separate dimension as a completely separate entity to express myself yeah. and like because I used to do personal projects you know if I was working on a client piece I would take time off and then work on a personal project mm-hmm. um, but now it's, now it's just like I'd rather just do music right, yeah. when I have time because it's a completely separate thing and there's a freedom that you know I don't have to rely on you know I don't have to, I don't have to spend money to shoot something mm-hmm. you know to use in the project I don't have to like hire another animator I don't have to spend as much time just creating a short thing like I can just like whatever crazy ideas are in my head I can just express them musically and yeah. then eventually you know figure out how they connect to visuals or whatever but I mean at the same time I was starting was starting to do Jacob Tutu I kind of wasn't sure what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and 
uh, I started playing, I wanted to play drums again. So I started playing drums in my friend's band because they were looking for a drummer. And I really wasn't into what they were doing that much. It was kind of like a, it was kind of, kind of weasery. It was very mm-hmm. much like a, you know, indie rock thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun. It was just fun to like play drums to play, again. Right. And to play. Um, and play on stage and perform in front of people. Um, and at the same time, I also, my friend's other band, he was looking for a vocalist. He said, hey, do you want to try singing? And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you should come and just come, you know, practice with it. Come, come one time when we're practicing and just try it out. So like I came and started singing and they were really into it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I can do this. And, you know, start writing lyrics. And, but again, that wasn't, you know, it was very much like kind of like the old punk rock stuff that I used to, you know, play when I was in high school. And I just was kind of over it. And I also realized that I was, you know, I was a child actor. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did plays and stuff when I was a kid. And I very much wanted that sense of attention. Yeah spotlight yeah and for me jacob tutu is kind of i want to i'm i'm consciously trying to get away from that like i i think the thing i like about electronic music in general when it's like a single producer based is that there isn't personality behind it Mm -hmm. like i you know when you're young like we were saying earlier about about owning music and music becoming your identity when you're young the music is very much about the image as well. Right. And it's very much, you know, punk rock, you know, shaped fashion, you know, mm-hmm. it shaped the way I looked, it shaped all these things. And, and uh, now I'm really beginning to, I really dislike that about music, especially because now it's all image. Yeah. You know, like, no, I don't feel like anyone even cares about music anymore. No one actually listens to it. They're just like, it's the packaging. Yeah. It's the packaging. It's not just like the style of the musician. It's also just the way the video looks and yeah. the whole, it's, it, it, everything's in the packaging. Yeah. And it's just like, there's no difference in terms of credibility between, you know, Katy Perry and vampire weekend. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, like it's both just like they're selling an a image. They're selling a brand. They're selling a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any part of that. You know, I don't want to be, I don't, that's, I'm, I'm, for me, music is not about like trying to be cool or trying to create fucking club bangers Mm -hmm. or, you know, for me, it's, it's an exploration, you know, like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if people are going to like this. I don't know if this even all works together, but these are just a bunch of different things I wanted to try to do. Mm -hmm. And it's much more about the process and yeah, it's just exploring, fi- trying to find new ideas. Like I, you know, for me, my, my heroes are all prog rockers. Yeah. You know, because they're like yes, and Pink Pink Crimson, like they were just like, oh, can we just take a bunch of shit and just throw it in a pat and like see where it goes? Right. You know, and it wasn't about, you know, I mean, yeah, they had then they put on huge stadium shows because they wanted to give somebody people something else to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why Peter Gabriel wore all those crazy masks. Right. Um, in those videos because they didn't, they didn't want to be about just like we're a bunch of cool dudes on stage with guitars like yeah. they wanted to explore something else they didn't want to be that kind of ego driven cliche and I I feel the same way like I, I I don't you know I'm specifically trying to keep my ego out of it yeah um, yeah that stuff comes out of too I mean the prog rock thing that I got into a little bit I, I was never that deep into it, but mm-hmm. I th- I really got deep into like Sun Ra and mm-hmm. you know Miles and like the stuff that that avant garde and Herbie when he got into you know the seventies yeah before it got to, anyways you know that kind of like 
um, it wasn't so much about them. It was about just pushing the envelope yeah. of what the music could do. And it's almost like this escapism, you know, totally. that the music created, which is, you know, I guess antithetical to a lot of popular music in a way, yeah. you know, just be, but it's a, yeah, no, I totally, I feel the same way. It's, it's more about creating, you know, emotions and ideas and yeah. less about just like rocking out mm-hmm. along with that. There is this tendency like when the sort of when the vaporwave thing started, mm-hmm. that started because one guy wrote an article on Dummy, I think, and it was actually a really well written, interesting article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found aspects of it to be, oh yeah, because you talked about like Tumblr art and the sort of like super crude 3D and like all the. I mean, to me, vaporwave is is kind of like you know a uh, surrealism of internet art. Right. You know, it's all about just like. You know, the, or or not surrealism, situationism. Like the situationists were all about, uh, you know, taking a look at the physical space mm-hmm. and the way advertising and commercialism has taken over our physical world and satirizing that and throwing it back in its face. Right. And to me, that's vaporwave is basically doing that to the digital world, mm-hmm. and they're sort of embracing all of these this ephemera mm-hmm. that just is naturally there on the internet and turning into something else. And that's right. interesting to me. Yeah. But then all these dumbass <laughs> bloggers see that, grab a hold of it, right. and create a million other different waves, chills, whatever, you know, based off of that. And they don't put nearly the amount of thought that that one good writer did, you know, but they, because, I mean, I hate, I hate, I have this love hate relationship, or not even a love hate relationship. It's like you're dependent on bloggers, mm-hmm. but so many of them are just such horrible writers. Yeah. Like I'll read reviews that are positive and I'll be like that's great I really hate what you said <laughs> I'm glad you like it but god you're a horrible writer yeah and and yeah and just and, the, and you gotta have and it's, again it's the fault of the internet because like you've gotta have your hashtags right you know you gotta hashtag stuff SoundCloud mm-hmm. demands that you put at least one label on your music mm-hmm. and I understand the like utilitarian need for that but it does just tend to lump things together and eventually and 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 just cheapens it yeah you know i think it has something to do too with and i talk about this a lot with other people about the way that technology is just having this effect on us like you're saturated with information and whether it's you know like visually like Mm -hmm. we're saturated with all this visual information it's so difficult to to kind of sift through things and you have to compartmentalize it but there's not enough time and it changes the speed in which we react to things so i think that's why criticism now is just so different like people don't it's diluted it's you know there's a million different people saying a million different things and the weight of it changes but i mean hopefully at the end of the day there's just we all realize there's you're going to go see that boards of canada show or you're going to go see a neo roush painting yeah, and you're gonna love it, and you're gonna realize you're gonna kind of hate them because they spawned like five thousand copycats. Exactly. They were so good. But it's usually a really good person or a really good group that starts something. Yeah. That ends up getting copied a million times. Yeah, totally. You know, but it's we're a you know product of that kind of that age we're living in right now with the saturation of information, the speed of everything. It's yeah. And it's changing constantly. And it's, I mean, and it has its pros and cons. Like, I'm talking about the cons of it, but, you know, there's obviously, there's a ton of really great artists that you now have access to. Yeah. And there are people, you know, the internet has not made anything, it's not, it's not made art or music 
better or worse it has just made them more yeah you know it is just there's just more of it there's more to choose from and the and same it's available. and the same and it's available and this and the tools to make it are available and i think the ratio of good stuff to crap is probably the same as it always was there's just so much more of it well, and i think in general that's a good thing because i mean there's you know i've i've found find people on soundcloud all the time that are amazing that you know not many people know about or they're in japan or they're in russia yeah or they're in the middle of nowhere and and that's you know, that excitement we were talking about you yeah. get when you find that new thing that you know you connect with and yeah. that gives you the fuel to to kind of like and there's making. no there's no now now that you know when i was growing up there were local scenes there was like yeah. the punk rock scene in atlanta the punk rock scene in dc you know there was the techno scene in detroit now the scenes are no longer a physical location. It's the SoundCloud scene. It's the SoundCloud scene. It's, it's people from all over the world. Like, I'm, you know, the label I'm on, King Deluxe, like, I, there, I think I'm the only person in New York. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's run by a guy in Canada. There's, you know, a couple of people from Japan, a couple of people from the UK. A That's couple pretty pe- cool. A couple of people from Denmark. Yeah. Uh, a couple of people from, from, from uh, the Netherlands and Russia, Belarus, like, everywhere. And, but we all sort of follow on like but he peter who runs king deluxe mm-hmm. you know, individually contacted all of us so this we, this whole roster of artists that he has are shaped by his sensibility and right. we all tend to like each other as yeah. well um but yeah we're scattered all over the world and that's that's interesting i think that's a good thing yeah that's the that's the positive right uh, and like link to culture i mean it's now we have such an amazing ability to interact with different culture it's a, i think it's a it's a microcosm of a macro event yeah. that's happening in our world. Well, just shrinking. The, just the fact that there's so much good music coming out of Russia, mm-hmm. and it's Russia. Yeah, you know, it's it's still like you know, Putin kills people. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. But there's really interesting electronic music coming out of yeah. there. Like, that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Well, um, on that note, can you give me? Why don't you share three, um, three musicians, bands, or whatever that you feel like recently you've just been really into that may be off the radar um one is this guy jovian path who's jovian path yeah, who's my mm-hmm. friend ryan who lives here in new york mm-hmm. um and he i just i met him randomly at a show one time we got along mm-hmm. and so we started hanging out in person and I, he sent me his stuff and i really liked it and he's been blowing me away ever since like every time he does something new it's amazing cool. so he has an ep coming out on king deluxe this later this year um, another, another artist on King Deluxe is this guy Matomi mm-hmm. he's a Japanese artist uh, who just does he's he he has he put an EP on King Deluxe and then he also has an LP that's available on his band camp and he's been throwing stuff up on SoundCloud now that he's just getting so much more abstract but it's brilliant nice. you can tell he still has like because he, he definitely has like jazz chops and jazz training mm-hmm. but he's just pushed into this weird noise world that's so angular and it's awesome he's an amazing producer um and another guy on king deluxe is a uh, muta m-u-t-a uh and he has he put out one ep on on king deluxe called runner a few years ago but still one of the most amazing things i've ever heard it sounds like raymond scott's studio collapsing on itself nice uh, and that the stuff he's good. and the stuff he's doing i know he's working on i think he's working on another lp King Deluxe and he, he did a remix for me uh, and he uh, sort of he's sort of been putting out drips and drabs over the past year but yeah he's he's also an amazing guy really good 
Cool. So, yeah. All right. So, it's always great to talk, man. Thank you. Thanks for taking out the time.
Bye. Bye. Bye.